please turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 8. We'll be reading just a few verses, verses 14 through 17, but in many ways this summarizes the main idea of chapters 8 and 9 in the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 8, starting at verse 14. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with the fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she rose and began to serve him. That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. This is God's word. Please pray with me. Father, you meet us in your word. You send your spirit. And so would you do so now? Would you give me energy and passion as your servant? Lord, would you give us hearts to hear? Would we overflow and be overwhelmed by the love of our Lord and our Savior? We pray this in his name. Amen. Well, we hear, see here in this passage how Jesus changes the lives of people with simply a word. Well, think about it. What would it be like to have your life dramatically changed by a few words? It doesn't have to be miraculous. You think about how a pastor um, pronounces you and your beloved man and wife. Perhaps you've been charged with a felony unjustly. And the judge acquits you, not guilty. Maybe you're here um, on a visa status as an immigrant and it's about to be revoked and you're going to be separated from your family and you get an extension. What would it be like? One word, a few words. Well, I've experienced that myself. Remission. Remission. Um, I went to... UPenn the Friday before Christmas, and I was there to get my scan, and there was nobody there, so I got ushered up to the doctor's office a little early, and he read it, and uh, he, they called me in, and I was in one of 24 of their oncology rooms that they have for all their patients. It's a massive place, and I could, I could hear him pacing back and talking. He's kind of like a wiry Energizer bunny, and he, he just stops by and says, oh, by the way, your scan's clean. I'll be in a minute. Um, it's a little, little anticlimactic, but Remission. I think he was just trying to keep me from pins and needles, just waiting. Right, that declaration, your scan is clean, had huge personal ramifications. Obviously, I'm no longer facing uh, an imminent death. I can expect perhaps a normal lifespan again. My family will have a father and mother. And, and then I've been delivered from this deadly disease. I have thought often, what if? What if CAR-T had failed? Uh, I could very easily be on hospice care right now, palliative care. Less dramatic, but that declaration has an impact on my life in other ways. Remission means that I have a better chance of staying in the army. You can't stay in the army long term if you have active cancer. So you see, these these words mean quite a bit to me. In fact, once or twice when I got home, I, I pulled up the report, and there's a lot of big words in there, but at the end, here's the professional diagnosis, complete Metabolic response to therapy. Yeah. All right? You just read that, it feels good. 
Well, as I was reflecting on my healing and the pronouncement of, of remission, I, I realized I experienced a deliverance of sorts. And there's an analogy to that in Jesus' healing. Right? I, I had great personal need. It's pressing. I was disabled and dying. I had no hope of future on my own. I had large swings in fortune capped off by a declaration of remission. I'm alive. And I thought this, in some ways, reminds me of Jesus in the gospel. After all, those people were crippled and very sick. They had little hope of experiencing healing. And when they received this healing, their lives were completely changed. And Jesus did it with a declaration. Of course, we could say in many ways it's different. His declaration was the healing. He had no CAR-T therapy or anything like that. And we'll see they had a specific purpose. But my experience caused me to re-examine Jesus' healings and brought me a renewed sense of joy, which I'm going to share with you in this passage tonight. It must be the providence of the Spirit again that Pastor Mulker and I are preaching on the same idea from different angles. Last, last week it was kind of worry and the beginning of the new year and anxiety, you know, um, and, and, and lamentation and, and, um, and this is the kingdom. So here's the idea. Jesus' healing brings kingdom hope. Jesus' healing brings kingdom hope. Those healings so long ago still speak to the power and the person of our king that should bring life to our hearts. And so what I want us to do tonight is just ask the question, how? How does his healing bring kingdom hope? And the first thing is we see that Jesus' healing makes cripples whole. Now, the kingdom is marked by wholeness, by things that were broken being put back together again, being renewed. As I said earlier, this little passage that we read is really a summary of 8 through 9. These passages show Jesus, the Messiah, at work. There are ten miracle accounts. Nine of them have to do with either healing or casting out demons. The other is Jesus walking on the water, having authority over nature. So there's a reason that Matthew places these Healing accounts here, they, they probably weren't chronological. This was probably thematical. They can, gospel authors can do that. And, and so Jesus, he was talking about Jesus' teaching in his great Sermon on the Mount. So he had several chapters on Jesus' words of authority. And now he's going by his work, demonstrate his authority. And so healing is a sign of the kingdom. Right? The kingdom is God's royal reign over this world. It's, it's, it's already, but we're also in this not yet phase. One day God will be openly acknowledged by everyone. Every knee will bow and tongue confess. But, but right now his kingdom is present where he shows himself in power. Uh, often that's in the church. The church is not exactly the kingdom, but where hearts and knees bow to Jesus. That is where his kingdom is coming and moving. Right Before Jesus, well, God's kingdom was, was Israel. And people knew that something better was coming. Something fuller. The Lord's prophets foretold of this kingdom coming. It would be a place of peace and wholeness where the lion would lie down with the lamb and those types of imageries. Now, we can just acknowledge that still, this is not the current world. It's not the way things are supposed to be. I can't think of any sign more of a more broken world than kids who get sick on Christmas Day. You know? In fact, we had a, we had a Christmas celebration on my my wife's side, the Pearson side, and her sister and brother-in-law with with their three little girls were supposed to come down, and well, they came down all right. <laughs> they came down with the flu, and and so it's like no, all the kids, the kids had the beds laid out. They were so sad. This is not right. Of course, Daddy is not supposed to get weak and die from cancer either. 
And all this sickness is a result of the fall of Adam and, and the, the power that Satan gained because of that. And it was the same way back there. When, when Jesus comes, he raises the hope of this kingdom expectation. You, you remember that when he was invited into the synagogue in Luke chapter 4, he opens the scroll to Isaiah. Luke chapter 4, verse 18, quoting Isaiah, Jesus read, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down and the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Now listen, do you hear what was promised there? Liberty? New sight, end of oppression, the Lord's favor, that's a tall order. But Jesus has proclaimed that the kingdom has arrived. If you flip to Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, his, his first recorded teaching is, Matthew four seventeen. from that time Jesus began to preach saying, repent for the kingdom is at hand. And then Matthew summarizes this later. In verse 23, he says, so, so he, Jesus, went throughout all of Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. You see, there, there's again, the kingdom and the healings. They go together. Jesus' healings bring kingdom hope. He's, he's proving his preaching by his miracles. And so these, these stories of healing are signs of fullness of hope. So who did Jesus heal? Well, if you go back to chapter 8, you can, you can just look at, at least in the ESV, they have the headlines. Well, Jesus cleanses a leper. He heals the centurion's servant because of his, his master's faith. As we read, he heals Peter's mother-in-law who was sick. He heals two men who had demons. He heals a paralytic. He raises a girl to life. He heals a woman who was ritually impure because of bleeding, heals two blind men, a mute man who was possessed by a demon. Now, for many of these, their lives, this healing was a reversal from living death. Living death was where you are technically alive, but it's not as it's supposed to be. You might as well be dead. We might use the adjectives today, shallow, broken, thin life. The leper and the woman would have been unclean and cast away from God's community. The paralyzed man was completely unable to care for himself. There was no assisting him back then. He was at the mercy of, of his friends. Can you imagine what it would have been like to be possessed of demons and to have little to no control of your life? And now they are whole, restored to the way things should be. Imagine how it changed their lives. I can walk. I can see. I'm clean. These are wonderful acts of mercy, but they, they also demonstrate Jesus is who he says he is. And he tells you that the kind of kingdom that's coming, a kingdom that's not yet come in its fullness, but a kingdom where there will be no more sickness, no more disease, no more death. It's not here yet, but it's begun. And you see it as, as proof in his healings. And so when you experience Jesus' healings in the gospel, they should remind you of this Greek's kingdom. You can say, yeah, there's brokenness in the world, but this kingdom, I don't know about you, but I want it to come. I yearn for this kingdom to come. 
And so uh, Jesus making people whole, his healings making people whole is a sign uh, of kingdom joy. Related to this is Jesus' healing shows the character of the king. Now, if you read through Matthew, one thing that he wants you to get is that Jesus is the king. From a royal genealogy to the great commission where Jesus says, all authority has been given to me, Jesus is the king. And yet he's a very different kind of king. After proclaiming kingdom truths on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus shows his power how? By healing the outcast, the weak, and the helpless. This is a beautiful picture of Jesus' kingship. Right? This, this kingdom advances through th- service and self-sacrifice. The king, who is whole and healthy, takes compassion on those who are weak and needy. And he uses his power to heal them. Now, this is not generally what powerful people do. Sometimes we get that now because we have inherited it from Christ, kind of like leaders eat last in those types of books where leaders serve those under them. But especially in Jesus' time, that's not what leaders did. Helpless people have nothing that they can offer you. Instead, they need things from you. They need their time and your energy and resources. And though, even though Jesus could heal with a simple word, dealing with the crowds mobbing him, that was still draining on his resources and time. And yet he heals them. And he welcomes them. If you go back to the passage that we read in Matthew 8, um, 16 is a pretty standard summary statement, one of many, that, that Jesus healed many and, and uh, cast out demons. But verse 17 is unique in the Gospels. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. Now, where does that come from? Sound familiar? Does anyone know? It's a well-known passage in Isaiah. Uh, Turn with me to Isaiah 53, the suffering servant passage. You'll want to keep your finger in Matthew chapter 8. But... Now, Isaiah 53, uh, Matthew is quoting Isaiah 53, 4. And I learned something from Matthew as I was studying this passage. I actually didn't quite locate it, and that's because he translates it differently, doesn't he? Just listen to, listen to what, what the ESV says in 53, 4. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Um, but, but how does Matthew translate it? It's like, well, wait, wait. He says he took our illnesses and bore our diseases. Grief, sorrows, illness, diseases. Why, why are these different? Now, there's many reasons um, a quotation can be different. Sometimes the authors paraphrase the Old Testament. Sometimes one uses the Greek translation, the Septuagint. Uh, most commentators think that Matthew is directly translating from the Hebrew text. And I think in this case, he's actually clearer than some of our English Bibles. A good literal translation is something along the lines of this. Surely he lifts up our sicknesses and bore as a heavy load our pain. So what does the ESV do with this? Well, it says he bore our griefs and carried our sorrows. And the second part of that translation, carried our sorrows, is fine. But bore our griefs is is missing something a little bit. Uh, Griefs are generally something that's internal, um, psychological. But sickness starts with the physical body. So so why does the ESV do that? My guess is that they're following the King James Version. Sometimes uh, translations follow the traditional pool. 
Um, interestingly enough, if you know about the Geneva Bible, it was an alternate translation a little earlier than the King James. It says, surely he hath borne our infirmities. It's a little closer. So saying he bore our griefs instead of sicknesses, that's not a completely wrong translation, is it? I mean, sicknesses can be a word picture for sin and the grief that it causes. And in fact, in the next verse, as we'll read in a moment, it transitions plainly to talking about guilt and sin. So the ESV is following older versions. They're talking, uh, taking a word that means something, a larger range, physical sickness, and translating in a narrow way, griefs caused by sins, and it's because of context. Well, you can do that, but I'm a little disappointed because they took a word that means physical sickness and included an interpretive decision in their translation, and it seems to me that they're reading in later parts into this verse and not letting it speak for itself, especially when Matthew translates it as physical sickness. They have a clue. All right. I'm sure most of you didn't come here for a translation lesson. Why am I beating up on the ESV? By the way, it's a solid translation. I preach from it. I read it. I memorize it. Um, there's no perfect translations. There's trade-off in language. If I've just shaken your faith, please talk to me. I'll be happy to talk to you about how language works. You can have confidence in your Bible. Uh, the reason that I'm harping here is that we often do in translation and practice or teaching and practice what the ESV does in translation. We see sickness in the New Testament and we think sin. Um, Jesus talks about the good news to the poor and we say, oh, well, Matthew says poor in spirit. So it must always mean poor in spirit. And, and here's my concern is that we're so quick to get to the spiritual aspect of Jesus' kingdom that we blow by the physical ones that are there. And it could be because forgiveness is the most important and that's a mostly spiritual thing, and it is. It could be that healing, as we've already said, points to the fullness of the kingdom, so we just jump there and it does. It could be that a hundred years ago, there's the mainline Christianity tried to take the good news and, and they said the only thing that matters is physical healing, and that's heresy. Um, it could be that there are those who make healing all about faith, and if you get the flu, then your faith is small, right? You sin somehow, that's misguided. So maybe because of these errors, we tend to stay away from the physical aspect of Jesus' kingdom. But it's there. Listen to what uh, Dr. Chamberlain, who commentates, uh, has a commentary on Matthew, says. He kind of gets, I think he gets the balance quite nicely. He says, on the one hand, salvation is genuinely but not exclusively physical. It's, it's, it's more than physical. The forgiveness of sins is a far greater moment than the cure of paralysis. All such healings offer images and illustrations of that greater cure, liberation from sin and its destructive power. But neither is salvation purely spiritual. All these miracles, restoring sight, healing paralysis, cleansing lepers, raising the dead, offer foretastes and glimpses of that wholeness to be experienced when at history's consummation the bodies of those whose sins are forgiven are raised whole, immortal, and imperishable. There is a physical aspect to Jesus' kingdom. It's here now, and it will matter in the new heavens and the new earth. And this tells us something about our king. He came as a servant. And one of the ways that he serves during ministry was that he met very real physical needs of needy people. He had compassion. The Gospels record Jesus 
touching those who are sick. And they didn't, they didn't just waste space back then. If they used the word, it was for a reason. He touched them. He touched their fever-wracked bodies. He touched defiled lepers. He touched blind eyes. Someone who spent um, 70 nights in a hospital in a year and received many a care of nurses, just, just thinking that Jesus, he touched them. He, he came and in his ministry, he lifted up our sickness. He, he bears the heavy load of our pain. And yet, Jesus' physical healing was limited. He didn't heal everyone. Everyone he healed died. But, but it was meaningful and it was real. And it tells you about the kind of king that he was. He was this kingly servant who was filled with compassion for hurting people and with his physical body comforted their physical suffering. And I don't know about you, but I want to live in that kingdom that is ruled by that king. We all have to serve someone or something. There's no getting out of it. You can't serve yourself. You've got to, serve, you've got to declare allegiance. Don't you want to declare allegiance and serve this king? An application here is that physical acts of mercy are valuable signs of God's grace that brings honor to him. Now, Christians throughout the centuries have spearheaded the founding of hospitals and stayed in cities and cared for those who were dying of plagues and provided for the sick and the poor. And we too should be busy about looking for ways to help those who are weak. We can't do it in miraculous ways unless the Lord decides to work that way. We can't control that in command like Jesus or the disciples can. And it's harder today. Today, uh, much of medical care is outsourced. I didn't want any of you to come care for me as I was receiving my CAR-T therapy. Uh, But we can care for those who have needs, starting in the church and then overflowing to our neighbors and community around us. And whether that looks like a a youth service project for someone who needs yard work or a a nursing home where we bring a a service and talk to those who are lonely, whatever it is, we can imitate Jesus in showing his love and mercy. Now, we can never think that we, should, we, we bring the kingdom somehow by doing that. God does that. But when we follow Christ and we do it as a gospel-saturated community that's preaching about the kingdom, it can be a powerful sign that God is at work and his kingdom is coming. Jesus' physical healings are beautiful, and, and you shouldn't move past them too quickly. Stop and dwell on their beauty. By grace, imitate him. But then we can also realize that this physical aspect points to salvation as well. It's the third part of the kingdom hope, that his healing does proclaim his forgiveness. And here's where you understand why the ESV translated Isaiah 53 as it did, because sickness is a symptom for our greater problem. We're rebels and we're separated from a holy God. This servant would take the illness of his people, but far more. And if you go to the next verse of Isaiah 53, 5, it says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. There's a, there's a physical metaphor. We're healed, but it's clearly caused um, by our sin and we need to be healed through forgiveness. Our sin is far greater than our sickness. And yet, The two are connected. If you flip back to Matthew, 
you see how Jesus' healings are connected to the forgiveness of sin. I, I didn't even notice it until um, I was reading the call of worship again, but it talks about how he, he heals our iniquities and, 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 and he forgives us of our iniquities and heals our diseases. In the same breath, it talks about both of them. And you see that here in chapter 9 as Jesus is healing the paralytic. You, many of you know the story of the man who was paralyzed. And so he had a, some friends, it doesn't say how many, come. And, and they, they take him up onto the roof. They were flat roofs back then with stairs on the outside. And they, they peeled back the clay tile. And Jesus is in there teaching. And so as they, they peel it out, he's teaching all this light shining through and dust is coming down. And everyone's just stopping if they see the mat come down. Just stops there. It's quiet. And what does Jesus say? Son, take heart. Your sins are forgiven. Well, thanks, Jesus, but that is not why he was here. That's not why his friends came all this way and tore up the roof and lifted him down. Pharisees know what's going on. They take issue. They right, un, rightly understand he's claiming to be God. And now Jesus could have clarified, said, oh, no, that's not what I meant. And only God can forgive sins. But no, he doubles down. Chapter 9, verse 5, he says, for which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven? Or to say, rise and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And of course he did. And they're tied together. It's not just a show of power, but healing and forgiveness go together. And here's Jesus' proof that he has the power to forgive sins. The healing proves his authority as a teacher and that he has authority to forgive sins because if he can, if he can heal the effects of sin, he can heal the cause of sin. D.A. Carson perceptively notes in his commentary on Matthew that physical healings and forgiveness in Jesus' ministry fit perfectly together. They are congruent. Listen to this. He says, there's an even deeper connection than first meets the eye between healing and forgiveness. These miracles have been framed to emphasize Jesus' authority. This authority was never used to satisfy himself. He healed the despised leper, a Gentile centurion servant who was hopelessly ill, others sick, no matter how many. Thus, when he gave his life as a ransom for many, it was nothing less than an extension of the same authority directed towards the good of others. Do you see what Dr. Carson's saying here? Well, when Jesus was living and in power, he used his life and his power to heal those who were needy and helpless. A great cost to himself. Well, when he laid down his life for people, it was the same. He used his power and authority to help others, his people. So not only did Jesus heal people's physical sickness and suffering, but in order to provide the forgiveness of sin, Jesus must undergo physical suffering. Now, there was more than physical suffering in the cross, but make no mistake, it was excruciatingly physical. And Jesus knew this as he healed people and forgave them. Think again about his servant mindset. Not only am I going to serve you now by setting aside my time and, you, and for your interests as I heal you, but I've come to die for you as you receive me by faith. I will be ripped apart so that you will be made whole. What an unthinkable mindset. One of the hardest aspects of my cancer coming back last summer was the aspect, just the, the prospect of the physical pain. Um, 
people, those of you who saw me before I was diagnosed, told me, you know, you, you looked really bad before you went into the hospital. Thankfully, they didn't tell me that at the time. But they're like, you looked really bad. Um, well, then I got a little better. And I was feeling a lot better. And I started to feel sick again. And I started to feel pain in my kidneys. And when the cancer came back, there was a part of me that was scared. Um, Probably the most scary thing would be leaving my children. But a second close was a slow and painful death where the prospect of being eaten from the inside out of my own body was not a pleasant thought. Now think about Jesus' mission. He comes as the servant king. He preaches about the kingdom. He heals, which are signs of the kingdom. And all the while, he knows that the way that he is going to bring the kingdom in, the deepest healing of complete forgiveness for those, is through deadly sacrifice. And this is not a grim possibility, but an awful, absolute certainty. When Jesus said, your sins are forgiven, he knew the cost he would bear. And if that doesn't melt your heart towards the king and make you yearn for his kingdom to fully come, I don't know what will. Christians, you trust in a great savior whose sacrifice is your only hope. And like my remission, Jesus' healing for your salvation is a declaration. It's easy for us to lose the wonder. It's human nature to despise what is familiar. It's human nature even more to downplay our helplessness. These pictures of healing remind you that when you were helpless, it took the power of Jesus and the cost of his life for your forgiveness. You know, when I went to drill, I told everyone I'm in remission. There's all smiles. Everyone's giving me high fives. It's wonderful because I know how terrible and grueling cancer can be. And when you realize your sin in light of a holy God, that Jesus has died to make you right, and because of that declaration, you are declared righteous, adopted, an heir of the kingdom, and a child of God, then what can you say? But my life has been dramatically changed because of Jesus' work. And when you find your love growing cold, The gospel seems small or trite. Look at Jesus in the gospel. See your Lord in action and claim his kingdom healing that can bring you hope. Please pray with me. Lord Jesus, we are humbled to think that you gave yourself, as we sang earlier, for such a worm as I, to give yourself so fully and completely as a way to bring us in and to bestow on us your spirit. And so this week, would we claim by faith the fact that your kingdom is coming? It has come, but it's coming in fullness. Would we live in awe of your gospel? And would it seep out in our lives, in our enthusiasm, in our energy, in the way that we help those in need as well? Let us live this week as those who have experienced mercy and so show mercy to others as signs pointing to the kingdom. All for your glory. Amen.